Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. In our last episode, we began taking a look at what emotional intelligence is, why it has become an important part of today's vernacular, and the role it plays in our ability as professionals to succeed long-term. Today, we will begin taking a closer look at emotional intelligence and what it means in the context of client service. It is an honor to be welcoming our first guest to the show, David Sussler. David is an attorney whose current role is Associate General Counsel at National Material LP. David has a valuable and insightful perspective on EI in this context as an in-house attorney who works both with internal clients within his organization, as well as with outside counsel and vendors who are service providers to him and his company. During his 30-year career, David has worked both as outside counsel in a law firm, as well as in-house for various companies, and he has an interesting and valuable perspective on what it means to be an effective legal partner and trusted advisor. David has frequently written and spoken on the topic of emotional intelligence over the past 10 years, and he and I are co-columnists of the Chicago Lawyer column, Inside Out, which compares and contrasts private practice and in-house counsel perspectives on current issues and trends impacting both the legal and business landscapes. In addition to being my partner in crime on the writing front for nearly eight years, David also happens to be my husband. In both this and the next episode, David and I will be looking at emotional intelligence and client service. Today, David and I will focus on exploring the impact that EI has on client service. In our next episode, we will be exploring various tips for maximizing effectiveness with clients from both the outside counsel and in-house counsel perspectives. Hey, David, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy and honored to be here. First as your very first guest, and especially to talk about the topic of emotional intelligence, which is such an important topic and I think often misunderstood, especially by lawyers. I completely agree, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So I'm going to start by just setting some context here for our discussion on EI and its importance with respect to client service. As we all know, exceptional client service is a fundamental component of successful business. This is particularly true in competitive industries such as the legal profession, where the quality of client service is often the only meaningful way to differentiate law firms and legal departments. So there are many different facets to effective client service, the most basic of which is being a technically excellent lawyer in a particular practice area. However, there are numerous other skills which are equally as important as substantive legal skills. Emotional intelligence is a key part of maximizing a client's overall satisfaction during its representation by counsel. So let's take a look at how emotional intelligence impacts the client service experience. There are several elements of every client service experience, and emotional intelligence skills are a critical part, including empathy, effective communication and listening skills, optimism, and a proficiency at inspiring confidence and trust. 
let's start by taking a look at these elements, David, and the skills from both the outside counsel and in-house counsel perspectives. So first, from the outside counsel perspective, the moment a client seeks advice regarding a new matter and the staffing process begins, it is always wise to include a team member who has experience with and institutional knowledge of the client. This person is frequently called the relationship partner. The relationship partner is critical since they can offer invaluable insight and guidance. They can also help frame the relevant issues in a way that draws upon past experiences with that client, as well as their working style, their likes and dislikes, their strengths and challenges, and their victories and defeats. This experience and frame of reference are unique value adds that other team members may simply not be in a position to provide, and which makes a world of difference when measuring the team's overall performance and effectiveness. To the extent that the matter is an engagement with a new client, it is important to determine who on the team has had experience which is particularly relevant to the new client's business and legal needs, and which will help drive the initial discussions. So David, um, what are your thoughts about this stage of an engagement from the in-house perspective? So uh, I think first we do have to distinguish between engaging new outside counsel for the first time and engaging long-time outside counsel uh, just to work on a new matter. So if I'm calling outside counsel that I've worked with previously, I really expect that initial contact will be similar to calling a trusted friend. We'll start talking with, you know, with a few pre- pleasantries and then we'll jump right into the new matter. And I will expect that outside counsel to be able to ask me a few basic questions to find out why I'm calling. You know, am I asking him for substantive advice, for reinforcement about something I think I already know about, but I'm not sure? Is it a simple or a complex matter? I expect that they already know my business and they know me well enough to just dive in with a few simple questions up front and then ask what I'm looking for and how they should follow up with me. If it's new counsel, it's probably going to be a bit longer process because we want to get to know each other. We want to learn each other's styles, our goals, our preferred ways to work together, and my preferred way to receive information and to move forward, which may be very different from other people. They need to ask me the right questions to get there. Now, myself, because I'm comfortable with this process, I've been doing it for a long time, I'll guide the outside counsel if they don't ask me the questions, Mm -hmm. but I find it quite preferable if the outside counsel asks me those questions on their own. And I think another important point, especially for me, is they need to portray confidence in what they're doing. And you can portray confidence simply by asking good questions. Don't just start spouting off advice or statements designed to impress me with your knowledge. Just ask me questions and be authentic from the start. So though you've really um, touched on some very key points. Let's first take a look at when you've decided to engage new counsel for a matter and you don't really have experience working with them. Do you have any anecdotes that you'd like to share about specific instances where in the context of engaging new legal counsel, either they did a really good job in that first call with you where you haven't had prior experience with them or where you were sort of wondering are you the same people that we actually decided to hire? <laughs> yeah. You know, when I think about engaging new counsel uh, on a new matter, um, you know, counsel that doesn't necessarily know my business, I will start and give some 
brief facts and say, okay, knowing what you know now, where do we go? What do we do from now? What do we do from here? And the really good attorneys will say, well, here's my initial thoughts. I'm thinking we do this, 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 but let me ask you a few more questions. Here's the type of information I need. The the not so good attorney is going to say, well, I need you to give me more information. I'm an expert in this. I've done this all the time. But first, you need to give me all the documents. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, that's not what I asked you. Right. 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 And then they they're just they're it really is based on asking questions to find out what you need to know in order to move forward. Right. So, David, in the context of existing client relationships, you know, if you look at your history as an in-house attorney where you were working with current counsel um, on a particular matter, either ongoing or you were looking at a new matter, do you have any anecdotes, either good or bad, in that context that you care to share? One story that comes readily to mind is at one point for my company, we were looking to hire new outside general corporate counsel, right? And we interviewed a couple of attorneys and the owner of the company chose the one that I didn't recommend, but we went with him. And was I, there an existing relationship? There was no, there was no pre-existing relationship, but the, the two finalists had been recommended by highly trusted advisors. Okay. I thought one would, would be the best and provide the best advice in the most economical way. The other one, in many respects, appeared on the surface to be more lawyerly in his personality. So the owner of the company went with him, and I said, be careful, he's going to nickel and dime you. But he went with him anyway, and and we engaged him and worked with him for a couple of months, and the attorney called the owner one day and said, hey, I'm coming out your way next week to meet with another client. Would you like to have breakfast? So the owner went to breakfast with him. And when he came back, I asked him how it was. He said, oh, it was great. We just talked for a couple of hours and it was really getting to know each other. We didn't talk any business at all. And then about two weeks later, we got a bill and he billed us for two hours of his time at that breakfast. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty shocking. I I was shocked. So what happened? Well, I said, don't pay that bill. And the owner of the company said, oh, no, I'm going to pay the bill, and I'm going to send it with a letter that said, don't ever call me again. Wow. That's pretty uh, That's pretty tough stuff. But, I mean, I think it's the right decision. I'm very surprised that that attorney had made the decision to offer to go to breakfast and then build you for it. Well, it is. And, you know, and I've also had attorneys who I've interviewed and then retained, and then they bill me for the initial interview meeting before mm-hmm. I've retained them. And, you know, I, I'm a fairly blunt person. I always tell people my subtlety is not my strong suit. Mm-hmm. So I will call those attorneys and say, listen, if you are that desperate to bill me, then just add an extra hour into a motion for summary judgment or something. Mm-hmm. But don't bill me for a meeting that happened before I've even retained you. Because right. if I didn't retain you, you couldn't have billed me. Exactly. It's just It's just not smart. Well, those are very interesting anecdotes and uh, ones that we can all learn from. So sort of looking back now at where we left off in terms of the engagement process, once you have initial intake discussions, attorneys need to be evaluating from an outside counsel perspective, not only what their client is telling them about the issue at hand, 
but they should also consider the position of the person who is their client contact, both with respect to the current matter as well as within the context of the company or business unit in which he or she works. Uh, it's also important to determine who else at the client may be affected by the issue and whether it is necessary to involve them in the decision-making process. Budget and timing considerations should also be openly discussed and a preliminary plan developed so that there is consensus from the beginning and a framework within which to have continuing conversations regarding these parameters, particularly in the event adjustments are needed. So, David, what do you think about this stage of the process from the in-house counsel perspective? Well, this is definitely a critical stage. You know, as an in-house attorney, I'm always keenly aware of the underlying business issues involved and who my internal stakeholders are. I do expect my outside counsel to be sensitive to this and try to learn these issues as quickly and as thoroughly as possible. You know, one thing I always say is that businesses don't have legal problems. They have business problems with legal aspects. And it's my responsibility and our responsibility, meaning meaning myself with outside counsel, to handle the legal issues in the best way possible for our business and to enable our business to continue moving forward in the best way possible. With regard to my in-house business clients, you know, I similarly need to discern their needs and our overall company needs and work with them to determine the best path forward that is both commercially successful as well as legal and ethical. And, you know, you talk about budget. Budgeting is really a, often a sensitive subject, although I don't think it should be. Part of emotional intelligence is knowing who you're speaking with. Right. So, for example, when I'm talking to outside counsel, they should know I've been a lawyer for 30 years. So be straightforward with me. Don't try to just give me platitudes or cliches about how difficult it is to come up with a budget, right? I know the game. <laughs> I know budgeting's not a perfect science, especially with litigation. Uh, there's nothing that drives me crazier when I talk to a litigation attorney and they say, well, you know, coming up with a budget's really difficult. I'm like, you know what? I'm a trial lawyer. I understand it, but you can come up with a budget. And we just work together and communicate throughout the process. But when you are authentic and honest with me from the outset, things go along throughout much better. So let's turn to one facet of something that you just said. And um, obviously, budget issues are critically important, and we could probably spend hours talking about the ways that budget considerations play out when staffing matters and so forth. But let's take a second to look a little bit more deeply at the issue of making sure that outside counsel works with in-house counsel and really understanding not just the issue and the substance of what's needed from a legal analysis perspective, but understanding who the audience is for that advice and understanding who the players are and how success is really defined. Because sometimes I think lawyers immediately assume that they know what the right legal answer is as far as the client's concerned. They know what the client wants to hear, but I think it's much more multidimensional than that. You're talking about not just the right legal answer, but you're talking about a certain constituency within the company that is involved in dealing with what with whatever consequences there may be to what the answer is that's reached. So do you want to comment on that for a moment? 
Well, yeah, I think it's always important to have a discussion about what are your goals? What's the outcome you want to achieve and why and how best do we get there? Is is it win at all costs? Is it settle the case as quickly as possible? Is it do you do you want to save this deal? You know, if you've got a contract dispute, you know, these are the questions some of the first questions I'll ask my salespeople and outside counsel should ask of me. Tell me more about this customer. Where do they, how do they fit within our overall strategy? Are they a key customer? Are they a little customer? Are they long term? Are they small term? Short term? What what's the dollar value? You know, um, are we doing business with this company on a directive from the CEO or? Is this just your buddy just got a job at this company and you want to do him a favor? Those are some of the key questions to learn, well, where does this fit within the overall strategic importance of your client, which is me and my company? Another part of this is I think outside counsel has to understand when their client is in-house counsel like me, your job as outside counsel is to help me look good to my business people. Right. That's a very critical component that the best lawyers get and others miss. And if you miss that, you know, you've got to remember who's the client, understand who the stakeholders are. Like my president really cares about this issue or my president doesn't, but I care about every issue. Right. Those are all really good points. So let's take a look at the next step of the matter intake process. Um, so outside counsel needs to take a look at not only how they are going to substantively address the legal issues that need to be looked at, but also how to package the results in a way that is most meaningful and helpful to the client. This requires a delicate balance between technical skills and emotional intelligence. Attorneys should confirm that they have the required expertise and knowledge from both the legal and business perspectives and determine whether they need to include additional resources on the client service team, particularly as the discussions regarding the matter continue to unfold. Um, And that time period can be anything from a few hours to a few days, maybe even a few weeks. At this juncture, lawyers must be self-aware enough to know and recognize when bringing others into a matter may actually better serve the client than trying to do the work oneself even if the project is within one's general practice area. Ultimately, doing what is best for the client, both in terms of quality and value, preserves and strengthens a client relationship. Not doing work yourself that is better done by someone else just because of your fear or insecurity about introducing other people to your client. So David, at this stage, um, do you have any thoughts as to how you've watched um, this part of the process play out? Well, sure. When you're talking about intake and deciding who who the team should be or who should handle it, right? Yes. It's another very important stage. You know, generally in today's world, and for me specifically, in-house lawyers tend to go to outside counsel for subject matter expertise they lack or when they just don't have the bandwidth to handle the matter in-house. So outside counsel needs to discern that at the outset. Now, More often than not, I'm going with outside counsel I've worked with rather than brand new counsel, but brand new counsel should figure this out as well. So if I've got a relationship partner and that relationship partner isn't the subject matter expert, then I expect them to connect me 
with a lawyer who is a subject matter expert. And part of that process is choosing who you think is going to connect best with my style and who I'm going to work with. So you have to get to know me a little bit. So it's not just getting the, the, the person with the right subject matter expertise to be comprehensive and efficient, but also someone who has a similar personality and working style as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because we've got to work together as a team. And then assuming you as my relationship partner and I have a good relationship, you shouldn't fear introducing me to another lawyer. I called you for a reason, right? Right. And you tell me somebody else is better suited to handle my matter. Great. Doing that is actually going to enhance our relationship uh, and failing to do so could harm it. I mean, I think that that's a very important point and something that I've observed over the years in private practice too, is I'm trying to work with different clients where I'm the relationship partner and expanding the relationship beyond my practice area into other areas and bringing in other attorneys, bringing them into the fold as a result of that. Do you have any quick tips, um, you know, just a couple for folks, if you are a relationship partner? And you are bringing other attorneys into the fold at your firm into a relationship for a particular matter. Do you have a couple tips for those relationship partners about things to do and not do when they are bringing in other attorneys? You know, I feel like I've said a lot and I'll probably say a lot more. It begins with asking questions. Mm -hmm. Ask the right questions. Um, I think lawyers sometimes are afraid to ask their clients questions like, well, what are you looking for? What do you need? Let's, let's, kind of delve into what's the overall scope of this project likely to be, mm-hmm. where does it fit within the uh, strategic importance of your company to know whether or not uh, or, or who you should bring in. And then you may need to take some time and simply say to me, you know, hey, I'm going to get back to you. I think that I, there's two or three lawyers in my firm who might be able to handle this substantively, let me get back to you. And then go and talk to your partner or associate or colleague and explain to them if you need to what my style is. And maybe right. you talk to them offline and and discern how's it going to go. But the the key really is having an open dialogue. So once the client team is formed, the outside counsel project leader must then properly communicate the project scope to the team and clearly define each member's role, as well as conducting the necessary risk assessments and effectively managing the project from all relevant angles. At this juncture, it is critically important to assess the exact nature of the requested deliverables beyond just the legal advice itself. So, for example, sometimes a client is seeking moral support or personal advice with respect to the issue at hand, rather than just technical legal advice. And the high EQ lawyer will sense that this is the case and effectively serve as the trusted advisor that the client needs. So, David, what has your experience been with this type of issue? So I've been in-house for almost 19 years now, right? 11 years with my current company, and I was in private practice for 12 years before that. People often say, oh, it's just business. Don't take it so personally, right? It's just business. But the fact is I do take it personally, you know, this is this is my company, and I take it more personally now than I did when I was in private practice. I take my company's success personally. I know I don't own the company, but I feel like I do. So whatever 
we're working on, you know, whether it's minor or major, whether it's bet the company or just help me file this regulatory compliance statement, it is important to me. So my go-to outside counsel have to understand that about me. So they'll know when I call them, sometimes maybe I am really am calling for substantive legal advice or sometimes I just need to vent. Mm-hmm. I, I just need to vent about certain things or maybe I don't like the way opposing counsel is handling something. So I will just bark loudly mm-hmm. and then let my outside counsel handle it appropriately. And they understand that about me. Well, and I think that that's a really good point, and I think it's helpful for the listeners to hear this because when I look on the, uh, you know, look at the relationships I have with various clients, you know, to me, being their trusted advisor is there's so many different facets to that, and one of the things is being receptive to conversations with them as I get to know them better, especially because there are certain projects which, depending on what's at stake and who they have to answer to within the company really might be a pressure point for them. Um, Politically within the company, they may feel like their job is really more at stake with certain types of projects, or they may really feel like there are certain decision makers within the company that um, get really anxious and emotional about certain things, and then they question whether or not decisions can be made um, as level-headed in a way as po- as as it's really needed and as possible. So, um, I, th- I think your your points are very well taken. And just based on my experience too, I think being receptive to those conversations. And usually, clients are pretty good at signaling. You can hear it in their voice. Sometimes they come right out and say it when there's certain things that you may not appreciate as outside counsel that are that are at stake in a way that maybe. They otherwise wouldn't be in under ordinary circumstances. And let me just say, you you hit it on the spot there when you said outside counsel have to be receptive to hearing those things and to having those conversations. Right. Absolutely. So as the project winds down and attorneys prepare to advise their clients, it's always prudent to take a step back and assess the team's performance and to consider the optimal manner in which to deliver the advice. Every client and situation is unique, thereby requiring a carefully tailored approach each time. Ultimately, one must consider the impact the advice will have on various constituents within the organization, whether additional decision makers or stakeholders need to be informed, and whether the results will require further research and evaluation. Even if the project has reached its natural conclusion, high EQ dictates that attorneys follow up with their clients and seek feedback to ensure that the client has everything it needs. So, David, do you have any thoughts on this? Sure. And like everything we're talking about, it really is of critical importance for accomplishing the goals and strengthening the long-term relationship so that it continues, right, beyond just this one matter. This is something I certainly do with my in-house business clients, and I think it's important to do with outside counsel as well. Uh, You know, I, I need my business clients to consider me as a colleague, as a team member. They, I want them to know that I understand their goals and needs and that we share the same goals. So for example, maybe a few weeks after we finalize a deal with a customer, I call them up and say, how's it going? Or if we've been negotiating a contract and it's just been silent for the last couple of months, I may call them up and say, hey, what happened to that? And 
I remember the first time that happened to me several years ago, and I called one of our one of our salespeople and said, "What happened to this deal?" And he's like, "Wow, I'm really impressed. You called me up. You really are a member of my team." Mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah, I am." And I realized right then and there, you know, that just means everything to them, and I've developed that as a as a regular pattern. And so I think outside counsel needs to do that. You know, one of the one of the big differences people often point out, the difference between in-house and outside counsel is as in-house counsel, we are there from beginning to end of a deal that let's say, you know, if, it, if you're acquiring a company, for example, we're there at the beginning of the, of the internal discussions about whether or not to buy. Then we're there throughout the entire purchase process and we're there after the deal closes and integrating the the new company, whereas outside counsel kind of helicopters in and out, right? Right. They're just there for a piece of the deal, and once that acquisition is closed, they're gone. Right. So the really smart ones, the ones with high emotional intelligence, they're going to check back in a couple weeks later, a couple months later, six months later. How's it going? Right. You know? Now, you know, M&A deals common. For my world, for example, it's the same as, say, if we buy a – piece of capital equipment. I'm there for the negotiation. I want to go down to the factory once that piece of equipment is installed and see it running. Right. You know, it's personally satisfying because, hey, I helped build this. And the business team, the people who actually operate the factory and the and the machine are impressed that I care to know that the piece of equipment I helped buy actually works. Mm-hmm. And outside counsel can do the same thing. So how often as we're getting ready to wind things up here in the next several minutes, um, how often do you have outside counsel ask you how they did on a deal, transaction, a litigation matter? And then how often it, you know, do you just volunteer it without being asked? I have rarely had outside counsel proactively ask that question. Interesting. Yeah. I like to have that discussion after we're done with a matter um, to understand, you know, what did we do well? What did we do poorly? How can we do better next time? I, I enjoy those conversations. Mm-hmm. They help me improve as a lawyer and they help you improve as a lawyer. Again, those with high emotional intelligence will just do it proactively. Right. Um, but when I have those conversations, it seems more often than not, I'm the one who initiates them. And how often, okay, let's assume for the moment that your outside counsel has not asked the question. How often do you volunteer the information when you're not asked for it? You know, it depends. Um, typical lawyer's answer there. It depends on the matter. And if it's a lawyer that I've worked with for a long time and we've concluded a big matter, I will almost always have a conversation, you know, like mm-hmm. let's go out to lunch or dinner or meet for a cup of coffee and let's talk about it. Okay. That sounds good. So in closing, uh, exceptional client service is not just a luxury anymore. It is everyone's expectation and its presence or absence is easy for all clients to see both large and small, sophisticated and unsophisticated. In our next episode, David and I will explore various tips to help maximize an attorney's ability to deliver highly effective legal services, richly textured with emotional intelligence. So David, do you have any final thoughts for us before we sign off? I do. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Um, You know, exceptional client service is a must in today's world. The truth is that there, there are hundreds of other lawyers out there with the same technical skills. 
So it's client service and emotional intelligence that's the true differentiator, at least for me and for my company, because that is how we truly form relationships based on trust. And that is essential for mutual success. Great words of wisdom. And uh, I look forward to our conversation again in the next episode. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you have enjoyed our initial exploration of the intersection of emotional intelligence and client service. I am your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.